Casey, you and April are on vacation. Okay. You it's strapping. And wait, you be the pool boy? Upside, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's Ups- see how this would play out. I'd be like, boy, boy, my drink is, my cup is nearly empty. Let me go get, what were you drinking? Were you drinking pool water? <laughs> Give me that top shelf wild turkey or I'll fire your dad. <laughs> Okay, so I, I know you work here and all, but have you ever seen the view from the yeah. <laughs> the third floor from the top's balcony? So- Welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And we have to start today by, you know, when, here's the thing, like, we're here to talk about ourselves, you know, like most people, we're narcissists, uh, but when when you, the people, reach out to us, we take that very seriously, okay? Very seriously. Audience fe- feedback is a big deal to us. And uh, and just to show you how big of a deal it is, we wanted to address one particular email that that caught our attention. And uh, well, I, do you want to just go ahead and read it? Sure. Yeah. So we got this this afternoon. Uh, we are recording this on a Sunday before this comes out. So we got it Sunday afternoon. Checked, you know, casually checked my email like any adult does. And. See this email come in from a name I don't recognize with the subject title, Joshua Harris. <laughs> and the email says, look, no formal introduction, no dear whosoever. He gets straight to the point. Are you going to go into the homosexual lifestyle now that you are apologizing to the gay community? Question mark. Sent from my iPhone. End of email. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh... That's a question that gets you thinking. I mean, have we been that transparent about our motives? I I don't think we've been transparent enough. I don't see. I thought we had come out episodes ago, but I guess it wasn't obvious. But <laughs> so I'm not. I don't know. Uh, I'm, so I'm thinking of how I can respond to this guy because I don't want to mislead our listeners. I don't want you know. He obviously he must have been. I don't know. Guy probably lives under a rock. And goes, you know, I wonder what Joshua Harris is up to. I wonder if he's written any more really good books on abstinence until marriage. And and then our podcast episode pops up. He listens to the whole thing, thinks he's going to get real nuggets of truth so that he can use to bring glory and honor and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't get what he was looking for. So, I don't know. I crafted an email response um, that I think really gets gets to the heart of where we're at now and kind of what we're up to and how we feel about the whole situation. So I'll go ahead and, and read mm-hmm, that response. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dude, going full blown homo. Been practicing my deep throat skills and using traffic cones to practice anal stretching. It's euphoric. It's like fucking the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah. It's so good. My favorite role play is the passion of the Christ where I get tied to a cross and scream, crucify me, daddy. While the, <laughs> 
Well, I get my nut slapped with an equestrian crop. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I don't know if that was, I don't know. We'll see how that lands. I, I don't, I think that's what he's looking for, the, the truth. Uh, and I don't want to, I, I just, I don't hide my truth under a bushel, you know? I think this will give him the closure that he needs in the conversation, because at that point he can say, I, I did my part. I, yeah. uh, I reached out, I witnessed, uh, I confronted them about their, their behavior, and it just looks like they're not going to turn away from their wickedness. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he can. I don't know. I, I guess he's probably going to wait for us to, you know, have fire cast down upon us, and and our wives will look back on the town from whence we came and be turned into pillars of salt, just like his favorite Bible story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hit us with some fire and brimstone, like Nineveh or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I really hope he has a good. I hope he has a word from the Lord for me. I would like to hear what the Lord is telling him. <laughs> In regards to that, what do, what do you picture this person looking like? Oh, well, I don't have to picture it because I found him on Facebook. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, that is true. Um, he doesn't look like a particularly stable individual, but I'm just trying to like get a get a mental profile together for this guy. Yeah, I can tell you. Oh, man, where's this? I had it pulled up. You keep talking. I'm pulling this thing back up. This is important. <laughs> Well, I, I had the picture that you sent of his. Oh, no, no, no. There it is. There it is. Um, He definitely looks like everyone's least favorite uncle. Yep. That's a good that's a good description. I'm trying to plug in his last name because I wanted to actually scroll through his Facebook. Whatever. I'll just find the pictures. Of it. This is annoying. I thought I had more more to go off of right now. He looks like the kind of guy like. I could envision him working at a music store, but like really only wanting to sell like brass instruments. And he gets angry when people come in and ask for guitars. <laughs> He's, I, he looks like a, I don't know. I, I picture him as starting like, an, yeah, music. I, I can see that that's his thing, but he's into niche stuff. And he caters particularly to a particular group of churchgoers that really want to be in the band but don't really have any particular skill set so he sells um kazoos and shaker eggs and those little chimey things that you go from one end to the other uh to maybe intro or outro a song maybe um you, you can know. see in his eye that he has a reverence for the the organ yeah you can see in his eyes that they're practically bulging out of his skull pretty off-putting yeah it uh, is. But so the reason I really made the connection that this might be the guy, uh, because plenty of people have the same name. This is a particularly unique name, I think. But a lot of people, you know, more than one person has the same name on Facebook. But I didn't have to scroll far before I saw a meme, and it was a picture of a rainbow, a double rainbow, by the way. That brings really that brings some people to tears. So, um, and the meme says. I may lose friends over this already love this kind of a guy. That's my favorite way for people to start anything off. Uh, just that approach of like, look, I'm the kind of guy that tells it like it is. And some people just don't like it. Like love those guys. Generally yeah. my favorite people. True boomer meme material. Yeah. Uh, but it says, uh, I may lose friends over this, but the rainbow is a symbol of God's promise to never flood the whole earth again. It is not a symbol of some, of the sins that provoked the flood. That's a mic drop moment. 
Wow. So, so he cares know, more about rainbows than friends. Yeah, more about rainbows than friends. Uh, more about, I mean, he definitely enjoys the idea that the whole earth was flooded by his God. So that's, that is I mean, a, really taking some liberties with the scant amount of scripture that talks about life before the flood, because I don't particularly remember them talking about any, any individual sins that caused God to flood the earth, but he has assumed that it was homosexuality. You know, it's funny now that I'm thinking about it. My assumptions is that he's assuming homosexuality because uh, it's just a picture of a, a rainbow. And so I'm obviously making that connection. Right. So I guess he has to be making that connection. Yeah. But he doesn't say it specifically here either. Uh, he seems like an on-the-nose kind of a guy. So I'm impressed by the subtlety, isn't it? <laughs> it was polite he, of him. He doesn't he care did, if he loses friends, but you know he's not going to be in your face about it. No, I, he did reach that stage in adolescence during cognitive development where he under, learned to understand nuance. So I think that that's something I wasn't expecting. I feel like this guy probably, like if I had to guess some things about other memes that he posts, I'm sure he's a big fan of minion memes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm sure he, he likes to post like, Something like some memes about how, um, you know, people under the age of 30 aren't men anymore. And it's got a picture of like Cillian Murphy from uh, Peaky Blinders. Something oh. about how they dress or, you know, I don't know, staying true to your word or betraying a friend. Like some stupid, ambiguous thing that, uh, you know, doesn't really relate to him at all. But it's a real statement about the generational difference. Yeah, I mean, he definitely would probably have some strong stances on masculinity, despite the fact that his entire wardrobe is like 80% pleated khakis and bland, solid colored polos. Yeah, uh, Christian Nightmares posted a like a TikTok from somebody today, and it was like something along the lines of like, um, you know, masculinity and is in decline women are replacing men and this and that and the other and stuff that was like is it any wonder that oh, i, I love that. the what was it, it was it, there was two things that he mentioned it was like one of them was satanism one of the, the biggest threats to our democracy if you ask me yeah it was like is it any is it any wonder that fatherless homes and satanism are on the rise <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. What is what's the connection between the two? Let's let's bridge that gap because you don't have to. You know, no, you, just, do. you do. You do. I'm just putting the dots together here. I've seen the documents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is Satanism? That's what I don't there's like that there's a slight infatuation with certain types of people on the idea that Satanism is growing in this now, if it's been growing since the 70s, but you never see it and you never really hear for it hear from it it seems an awful lot like a tree that's falling in the middle of the woods that nobody <laughs> for real that's what i always wonder it's like they would talk about like there's okay so there's a video that goes around and it gets kind of like uh a couple extra minutes tacked onto it every once in a while but it's like the same video it's been going around since the dawn of like youtube but it's this guy who is like, I used to be a part of Hollywood. I was a stunt man. I was successful. I was in all these movies and stuff. But like, then I got saved and I couldn't turn a blind eye to what was happening around me anymore. And then it's this long video about Satanism, like 
satanic symbolism and things like that that are just like shoved into movies and advertisements and all of these things that you see every day, how nefarious it is. And like, you know, implying that every ill in society is the result of like Satan slowly like brainwashing us with symbolism from Hollywood. Yeah, I don't. Dude, I don't understand that. I because I mean, I guess you can find what you're looking for, right? There's enough satanic symbols, I guess, that you can, you know, link anything you want to them. I mean, you if you put the dollar bill in a movie, you can be like, they only showed this dollar bill because it has the all-seeing eye on it. And you know yeah. what that means. You're like, okay, now we're doing some like national treasure type shit and we're going to end up breaking into <laughs> the fucking Pentagon to prove your conspiracy theory. But it's... It's so funny because like there's it's just a job like it's so like there's like this mystique uh, to to Hollywood for people. Uh, I think that's what's kind of interesting about, you know, even through this talking to some people who are adjacent to it or involved in it in some way. I even have some friends that like, you know, they're very behind the scenes. They have, you know, uh, someone that I grew up with is lives out in um in LA. Well, she did for a while. I forget what she's up to now. But either way, lived out in LA and, you know, had her name pop up on some movie credits because she did shit in whatever department of something. I mean, if you if you watch the credits to movies, there's so many fucking people involved. So many. Almost none of them filmed there's it and the, acted The grip it. and the whip and the best boy. <laughs> there's just a lot of things. And, like, uh, someone that uh, Jill and I were friends with in college she married somebody who does set work shit. So like he used, to, I don't, I don't know how he got set up with this, but you know, if they need to do rain on a set, he works with a company that just does rain when they need rain in movies or something weird like that. It's so particular, but like every little thing that happens in a movie, they have depart. So like most people working on these sets are, they're people like us and they're making like moderate, like very modest salaries, just showing up doing the work. Like, and then you have like the celebrities that, you know, you act and you film and that happens over a period of time and then they disappear. And then over a thousand other people were responsible for making that movie happen. Yeah, but not everyone is a part of the inner circle, like a B-movie stuntman who can only stand in for post 50 year old Steven Seagal. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's what I love that shit because they act like they do have that in and they always do have an obscure role. It's like when that, um, you know, I got sent videos about uh, this is after COVID started really ramping up and shit was going south in New York really fast, really bad. And um, there was this like nurse who infiltrated some facilities and we're like, look, I, you know, I, I'm a nurse. So I know everything there is to know about the medical. Oh, community. yeah. And I, I'm here right now filming and it's not it's what they're saying is happening isn't really happening. This is all a cover up and elaborate ruse. And what like you 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 you're not even from new york you just went there you showed up to fucking new york and with a camcorder like some found footage psychopath who about to get murdered by some 500 foot monster that you're not going to surprisingly see until the end of the movie i i got one of those and it was this guy like i'm a doctor and blah 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 the only thing that you need in order to prevent and beat covid is uh, it was some, something that was in like club soda. It was like a, a mineral or something like that. That's, 
it's in club soda and then zinc, mm. and that was it. Like that's all you need to beat and defeat COVID. And it was just continually like, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. Then you look the guy up and he's, he's a chiropractor in like a <laughs> tiny town in Indiana. It's like, I guess. And absolutely not a doctor. The, the, the person who said it to me was like, well, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting because I mean, he, it's not like he's selling anything or anything. And I'm like, he is selling something. He's selling himself. Like he's getting plays. He's getting, you know, uh, you put YouTube prominence, like his YouTube. videos going all over. He's on YouTube? Yeah, he was on YouTube <laughs> and he had him by the short and curlies. <laughs> but I, that's what, I, you know, that's a thing that I get so frustrated with. And it's like, it's not one side or the other. Both sides do this. But I hate that, like, everyone, like, it's one thing to have, like, a different opinion about something. It's one thing to disagree completely. But, like, why do you have to turn the other thing into, like, a nefarious plot? Like, it's not just that you don't believe that COVID is a serious illness or that you think it's not a big deal to catch it or whatever. Like, it eventually turns into, like, COVID was a, you know, a conspiracy to to destroy our Constitution or to, COVID's actually a bioweapon uh, meant to, to kill off a portion of the population and sterilize young people. Like, it's it's always that yeah. and it's like the 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 left side of the aisle does it too where it's like you know somebody i don't know it's the same sorts of things where you know uh, you're talking about good old boy people from you know uh, a backwater town who are against i don't know whatever g- gay marriage or something like that and then it eventually turns into like well they want they want them euthanized or or deported or you know they want the right to discriminate against them in hospitals and i hate that i it drives me crazy like whenever i hear somebody doing that or and it's like everything that that gets clicks is that and it's so stupid yeah i feel like there's decidedly less at this point on the left than on the right to to be as truthful as i can be but uh you know one it's of the not things the I'll- same level of of hysteria. It's not the same level of right. like conspiracy, um, end of the world, uh, good and evil, whatever that, uh, yeah. that the right side has. Yeah. It's usually a little bit different. It, I, I don't know if this is fair to say, but you know, I remember when I, I, there was this article going around, this was years ago. Um, the only timestamp I have for it is, is one of the three times I lived in my in-laws basement, <laughs> but um, it was this article that had basically was all about how clean eating can cure cancer. And, you know, a lot of, I, I would say that, 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 I guess that one's like an equal offender. Um, the whole clean eating kind of thing, it, it hits th- different groups of both the left and the right. And I think that's interesting because it's like, if you were going to stereotype them, you know, liberal hippies might be like vegetarians and shit like that. Conservatives would be like, oh, a bunch of liberal vegetarians, whatever. But then like, you know, the left would think of like the right is liking to hunt for sport and not use the animal and just dare some shit, which is not really what's generally happening <laughs> anywhere. That's I don't think. But uh, with, of course, the exception of some outliers and some multimillionaire asshole who wants to go shoot an elephant in Africa. Um, 
but this article was like clean eating basically it'll you know you, you, if you follow this kind of diet uh the, as god intended you won't die of cancer your cancer will go away because cancer is mutated cells and this helps restore them it was like whatever it sounded you know it's one of those things that you read it you're like i know this is wrong but because i don't know anything about science and the, and how you know uh medicines and shit affects the body i'm like i it sounds like a, it sounds reasonable even though you know it's wrong just from your own per- like experience as an adult in the world and you look into it and it says like a study from john hopkins university you're like okay red flag number one it's john's hopkins university so like they left the s off of john which is like that I mean, this article got shared a fucking shitload of times. And I saw it posted by so many different people being like, holy shit, look at this article. Like it, it was really put together in a way that sounded very smart. They would cite studies. They might not link to them. Is it but- that much of a scam? Like they literally, I mean, that was a purpose, purposeful misprint. I don't know. I think it might've been a miss. It's possible it was a misprint, but like, something wouldn't really get like it would only get someone would only publish that raw like improperly if they didn't actually know what johns hopkins university was like that's not a peer-reviewed article that's getting published that's a someone's blog post that went viral uh and and they're they're misrepresenting the studies out of these different universities and it but that shit makes me mad because then you know people people will try that People will like turn down actual cancer treatments to be like, well, you know, I saw this article that talked about just eating a lot of asparagus. Jesus Christ, that's not going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's like a, it's, it's an example in the other direction in that, like, you know, cleaning up your diet and cutting out certain things and stuff seems to be a part of what doctors prescribe for, for cancer treatment, you know, in addition to med actual medical treatment. And a lot of that helps like if helps like eat less processed foods, less carcinogens, like all that shit helps like reduce your chances for cancer. But what it's not going to do is fight it after you have it. Like, so it was just a misrepresentation of what the science has told us about, you know, how to help prevent yourself from getting cancer. How, I mean, of course it is a part of it. Like any doctor would recommend, Hey, Oh, you have, like, oh, let's not smoke. Like, there's obvious things that are, like, good for you and bad for you. Eating certain ways, I'm sure, contributes to it. I don't know. I, I don't have any information in front of me to say exactly what you should do. But it was just that. I just remember that one, like, sweeping the conversation. Among, like Because I had some friends that shared it. Um, I think that was, I want to say it was around the time that uh, my wife's grandmother was battling cancer. And that's why it got spread around like our family because they're like right has, has graham tried this it's like nope and if she does i'm gonna fucking punch you in the fucking face because <laughs> you're contributing to killing her it's like that shit made me so mad at that time yeah i i think that it's there's an impulse to always look for like an easier way to process a problem you know and and you see it with like different sorts of spiritualism and stuff like that where you know people point to things going wrong in their life and they're like well uh you know since i i took this uh i had this shrine in the corner of my house and since i took it down like 
I got a bill in the mail and I got this and I got that, which is a ridiculous example. But like I've recently heard something along those lines from from a friend. And, you know, I'm thinking like you you can't possibly think that that's a contributing factor, right? Like like there's a sacred object that somehow blocks you from from trouble you know, in different parts of your life. And, you know, from the outside, you can look at it and be like, absolutely not. Like this was coming either way. There's nothing to do with it. But like, does it help you process what's going on in your life right now? And that's such a weird thing because it's like on the one hand, that can be really bad if it causes you to ignore the problem or to ignore the simple things that you could do to correct your course or avoid those situations entirely, you know, whether it's financial in nature or health related or whatever it is, right? It can also be (laughs) right. That's exactly what it's like. It's like the same sort of thing as like the prosperity gospel stuff. But if, if you are taking responsibility for what's going on in your life, and that's part of how you keep a good attitude about the situation, and it helps you pull yourself out of that whole like, you know, emotionally and mentally and stuff like that, then I, I, it's, it's not such a bad thing. It's not really a harmful thing. It's just when it, when you take those things that, that, you know, all of, I mean, well, you're a, you're a slender fella, but all of us who are chubby have done that 300 times where you're like, uh, really sick of the way you look or feel. And someone comes up to you like, okay, there was this documentary going around a while ago about this guy who was overweight and he had all these health problems and stuff like that. It's an Australian guy. And he goes on this like, like three month juice diet where he just like runs foods and fruits and vegetables through a food processor, you know, looks, looks at like some basic macros and stuff like that. And he just lived off of juice for months yeah it's like food processor stuff so there's you know vitamins and all that stuff in it but like it's extreme that's an extreme thing to do to just live off a juice for months at a time and he lost weight and some of his health problems like got better and subsided a little bit and stuff like that And you're watching this documentary and you're like wow that's incredible like well i could do that's so simple like i could do that i could just i could just like run fruits and vegetables through a wood chipper and, and suck the pulp out, you know? (laughs) And, uh, I actually, like I did that at one point cause I was, I was in a bad spot. I was doing like everything wrong health wise. And I, (laughs) and I was looking for like these one stop shop things that were just going to cure all of those issues for me. When what I really needed was some diet and exercise and some discipline and like to take care of myself a little better. But like, that's so easy to do when you're that far away from where you want to be is just like, well, one of my salesmen the other day, he's, uh, he's always uh, talking about weight loss. And I'm like, well, you know, here's some simple things that you can do, you know, and he doesn't, it, it's not drastic okay, it's enough. It's really easy to say, don't eat a bag of chips when you're not drunk on your couch at 11 PM at night. <laughs> that sounds like recent experience talking. What? <laughs> but dude, we're talking about this stuff, which comes up all the time. And he goes, well, my friend told me I should do the tropical smoothie diet. And I'm like, 
dude, what is the tropical smoothie diet? And he's like, well, you go to tropical smoothie cafe and you order a meal and they're like pre-portioned, you know, they all kind of have like certain amount of calories and stuff. And, and then you get a smoothie and you're supposed to get like the good for you ones, but you know, I mean, whatever, it's a smoothie either way. And, uh, and you just do that for your meals. And that way, like, you know, you're, you're losing weight, but you also are just getting to eat some real food. And I'm like, that okay, is Jared. insane. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. It's like Jared. It's like, uh, it's like the Jared, uh, subway diet, <laughs> but he's telling me this. I'm like, dude, just do anything but that. Like, <laughs> and it's so expensive. That gets it's so, so expensive. expensive. Like, look, how about this? I don't know what his lifestyle is like, but just cut out 500 calories. Just cut out 500 calories a day. Empty calories. Like, dude, you want to eat? You want to eat five ounces of chips? That's there. Like, I, that's what's so hard about it is like about health and shit like that. Is the amount of food you can just go to that you your body is just like, yeah, give me some that, give me more. It's like chips is like a. The amount of calories and chips when you that you ingest and then don't feel full afterwards. How many chips do you eat on a daily basis? I just love chips. I don't. Eat it a keeps lot. It's coming up a, because we have chips in the house for the first time in a while, and it's making me horny. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> what is your go-to chip? Uh, well, of course the um, what are the uh, well for brand or are you talking style? I do flavor. Oh, flavor. Mm, I fuck with barbecue variations of barbecue dog. Those okay. Me going. You? you salt and vinegar guy. Aren't you? Uh, I like Doritos. Oh, <laughs> I like about any flavor of Doritos. You know, you like flaming hot Cheetos. Uh, yeah. Once in a while. Once in I a while. Like all right. That's like a staple of being in high school is also being addicted to flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah. I don't like orange fingers. That's my problem with them. Yeah, I mean, you like everything else that comes with being in high school, like Monster Energy drinks and shit like that. But <laughs> once you shut up, <laughs> Dude, I also think we should end this conversation with just letting everybody know that we have absolutely zero authority to speak on diet and exercise. Well, uh, right, we are and, not and, uh, credible sources for what you should or shouldn't do. Uh, but, well, and the you know, the point of all of that the ones that you like that are stupid, if you want. The, the, <laughs> the point of all of that is that every one of us has done that probably recently where we've had a problem that we didn't really want to address and we oh, found sure. a cut and paste solution from a salesperson that was guaranteed to fix it all overnight. And we've like, rather than addressing what needs to be done, we we've said, uh, well, I'll, I'll just assume that like, I don't have to pay taxes this year. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that always goes over well. But speaking of bad choices, um, yes. we got to talk about an article that came out this week in Vanity Fair about our buddy Jerry Falwell Jr. Who you'll be hearing from shortly. He's our guest. In, no. Uh, <laughs> I know that dude. Um yeah, so basically what? This article came out with Vanity Fair, and it was a lot of stuff we already knew. I don't know if anyone's read it. You can just Google Jerry Jr., uh, and after you get past Wikipedia, the Vanity Fair articles will come up. But just to be safe, Google Jerry Jr., Vanity Fair, and you'll get it. It's it's interesting. Like, I'm not, I've, I'm not all the way through it yet, but uh, 
I think there's some of it that provides some context as to like why he is the way he is. And yeah, then there's also some of it little. that's like, this is their story that they've been concocting at their dinner table over the last like eight months. Yeah. This was vetted by a lawyer. Well, he is a lawyer, uh, but it's, it, it definitely has like because, a real lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> but they have, so they get into the whole Granda story with Giancarlo Granda, the pool boy that they fucked allegedly. And it's, it's so far after the fact that for them to be like, okay, you can come and have a sit down interview and, and we'll tell you everything. It's like, right. no, you won't. You, this is rehearsed. You've planned it out. Uh, nothing about this is going to seem genuine, but there was some bombshells in it. Uh, and there were some things that were slightly revelatory. So like, you know, the first being that I don't really actually know much about Jerry Jr.'s life um, prior to becoming his my first year at Liberty was his first year. Um, so because I got there the year after you. So you had one year of Jerry Follow Sr. Yep. Um, and, you know, so they get into Jerry Jr.'s life a bit. And, you know, he he never really took to the whole evangelical fundamentalist Christianity thing. He was out. He wanted to go out and party and drink. And it just didn't hit him at all. Which is a feeling some of us can really resonate with growing up with religious parents. And um, so some of the things that came out, I feel like some of what he tries to do in this article is uh, dismiss his behavior because he never really gravitated. Oh, well, you know, I never really gravitated towards it to begin with. And, and now it's just like, let me just look to the past to make excuses for my behavior today. And it doesn't cover it. It does not nullify it. It doesn't change the fact that you took a job at an evangelical university where you were supposed to be a certain type of person and hold up, hold yourself to a certain amount of a certain level of standard. And then to just be like, after you've burnt the whole fucking thing to the ground, pretend like, well, you know, I was never actually that guy. Like, no fucking shit, dude. Everyone knew you weren't that guy. You spent <laughs> all that time fucking lying about it. And now that you have nothing to show for it, you're like, listen, I just wasn't that guy. I almost, so like one of the first quotes about it is like, the, the guy who wrote the article asked him or who, who interviewed him and then wrote the article asked him if like, what the fuck kind of happened? Like it felt, it almost feels like you tried to burn this shit. He's like, subconsciously, I think that that's true. Um, and he said, it's almost like I didn't have a choice because of my last name. People think I'm a religious person, but I'm not. My goal was <laughs> to make them realize I was not my dad. And it's like, you didn't have to make, you could have just told the fucking truth. And they would be like, oh, I guess he's not like his dad. But instead, you just played the long con and then fucked off for the last five fucking years of it and acted like I, I have to show these people I'm not like my dad. All the while, still telling everybody that you're like your dad almost. Like, my dad's this great man. Introduce Donald Trump. Donald Trump is one of the most Christ-like people I've ever met. Like, all this shit that he's done, uh, like pretending to be in it. Is like, but it was convenient. Yeah. So when his actions don't line up to look back and say, I guess I was like just trying to show people I wasn't like my dad. It's like, no, that's not what was happening at all. That is what you that's what people say to like cover their tracks. And I don't know. He's obviously like there's some of it that so it does humanize him in a way, because sure. look, as uh, as fun as it is to make fun of Jerry Jr., and as easy as it is to look back at Jerry Falwell and the things that he did and said and think like how he must be an evil ogre and stuff. These are just people from a different world. 
Like they are, they are just not a part of the same planet that we live on now, you know? And like, like this it's, makes it feel like some real righteous gemstones type shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so in the article, you know, he, he kind of spells out like part of how he's reintroducing himself in this, you know, quote unquote, more honest way is he talks about like his relationship with his dad and, you know, right. kind of shares some thoughts about his dad that I was surprised. I mean, I think he kind of burned the family to the ground in this article to try to like humanize himself because for one, he craps on his brother like crazy. Jonathan and- Falwell, who runs Thomas Road Baptist Church, you know, who's kind of more of the, you know, typical <laughs> religious poster boy. You know, he it made sense for him to be the pastor and for Jerry to be some behind the scenes business guy that, you know, handled real estate deals and stuff like that for the yeah. college. And Jonathan always like I went to t- his church for a bit when I was at Lynchburg and it's Southern Baptist, right? It, it's just cut and paste Southern Baptist. But I don't know. I'm sure there's some skeletons in that guy's closet too but at the end of the day he always did seem kind of like a mild-mannered just regular decent kind of guy uh nothing overly special or uh nothing no real big dark secrets or anything uh and he i seemed, feel like this yeah he he seemed fine like he yeah. there was nothing really remarkable about him but yeah. he also wasn't out front with a tv camera trying to be like the firebrand that his dad had been no. in the past and he probably could have tried more because he came into his dad's church he probably could have tried to get on tv i'm sure there's things he could have done like he could have sold his soul a little bit and you know just gone towards some prosperity shit with a southern baptist twist and he could have done whatever he wanted and used his name to 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 make himself more prominent. And I don't, I really don't think he did. And this article in the shade that Jerry Jr. throws at him uh, actually validates that it makes, because Jerry, I mean, Jonathan refuses to comment on anything because if any shade that Jerry Jr. threw, they reached out to Jonathan for comment and he just didn't like, he seems like he's uninterested in playing this game and getting involved in this bullshit. Good for him. I respect, I, you know, he stayed out of it. Uh, I know when I was there at Liberty, there was like, I, you would hear um, whispers of conflict between the two. Mm-hmm. And like one of the days I tried to go park where, you know, Liberty people used to, employees used to always park in the Thomas Road Baptist Church parking lot. And because uh, they were attached, like it was a road that went from Liberty to Thomas Road. It was like a back road that connected the two. And there were the gates that were shut. You could no longer park there. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I guess it, it, like the rumor was there was some like feuding going on. And I don't know. It, it just turned into the, it was like, oh, is that kind of like sibling rivalry bullshit? You got the feeling being there that there was some bullshit between. And like Jerry Jr., you know, part of the gripe with him is that he did exactly the opposite of everything we just said about Jonathan. Like Jerry, Jerry's problem in this role and and the the reason he eventually like fell apart was not because he's not a traditional fundamentalist baptist christian like it's not the reason that he's fallen apart yes the, the reason that he's fallen apart is because he assumed that identity because it was useful to him and then he did try to build a brand for himself off of it like he wanted to be 
the connected political right wing evangelicalist, you know, that's going to rally the the conservative base around the country and throw him behind, you know, his whatever strongman we're talking about this week, you know? Yeah. He wanted the power that came with the opportunity. Exactly. And what he says, and this is what's really, this is what he says in the article. And this is what just screams bullshit is he says that uh, being on the receiving end of evangelicals, moral opprobrium. Jesus, I don't even know. Jerry Jr. coming in hot with the big words. Oof. Google it. Google it for me. Well, I'm reading. He slurred that. I guarantee it. Opprobrium. Can you look it up? Yes. Okay. Use your typey little uh, fingies. What does this start with? Sausages. (laughs) 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 It's O P P. (laughs) This is so tough. O P P R O B R I U M. Harsh criticism or censure. Okay. I'm. I'm. Does it give you a pronunciation? Let's see. Approbrium. Approbrium. Ooh, she said that sexy. Approbrium. 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 Okay, great. I learned something new today, and I'm definitely going to use <laughs> that Jerry in a sentence. Jerry Jr. Yeah, I'm using that in a sentence at some point. All right. He said he was sick of basically being on the receiving end of evangelicals' approbrium uh, it, that fundamentally turned him away from the movement. He believes in Christ, he said, but not the church. And now here's a quote from him. Nothing in history has done more to turn people away from Christianity than organized religion. The religious elite he's, has got this idea that somehow their sins aren't as bad as everyone else's. This is Jerry saying this. Yeah. Like that is his identity for the past like decade has yeah. been that. It's been, you know, whatever thing he wants to highlight while also making himself a representative of like the more moral majority group of people throughout the country. I mean, it, it is cut and paste exactly what he's been. He is organized religion, you know, and that's, that's the gripe here. And that's why people are like, can't stand the hypocrisy is because he's done that. He's like wielded this political power as a result of like the, you know, yeah. What makes it all the more bullshit was I think this is another poignant part that correlates with that. That was the, the kind of the closing statement is like, well, I guess I'm done with it. I'm sick of all these evangelicals giving me shit about my life. Like what shit did they, you know what shit they gave him about his life in his, like not a lot. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like <laughs> not a lot. It took, it, it, no one cared about like, the whole like, I shouldn't say nobody, but we already know uh, that at least 81 percent of evangelical Christians weren't bothered by his love of Trump and his full blown endorsement. So that wasn't the problem. There were students that didn't like that. And there were people who pushed against that. There were faculty that pushed against that and found themselves shown the door because they don't give anyone tenure in that school. So, you know, he he ran that. Like with, I mean, he he loved the control that he got there, like father, like son, um, I suppose, because you know there is another. There's a f- fun quote from his dad uh, talking about drinking. It was like, why? Oh, they said, why don't you drink? Uh, he asked his, hey, Jerry Junior asked Jerry Senior why he didn't drink, uh, because Jesus drank wine. So like, why wouldn't you? And uh, Jerry Senior said, I-, I just like to be in control. I don't like to be drunk. It wasn't because of any religious 
issues. That was his dad's reasoning for it. Also, they do reveal that he uh, allegedly drank a bottle of NyQuil every night because Jerry Sr.'s wife didn't allow alcohol in the house. It seems Jerry paints this picture that um, that his mom was like the fundamentalist in the family. And Jerry Sr., like, you know, he got married to her. He was infatuated with her. Apparently, she was engaged. This is actually pretty wild. Um, May, May, what's her name? Maisel was, uh, was Jerry Sr.'s wife's name. So she was engaged to this guy who was at some, you know, Baptist college, whatever, seminary, whatever. Um, Jerry Sr. is like, I really like this person. So he went, to, he started going to church and got like involved and baptized and became basically because of that. I mean, I'm in, everybody knows a guy who did that. Like, like oh, that girl's hot. Uh, I like her. I'm going to just start going to church with her, I guess. So, so then he goes to the, he, he ends up enrolling in the college that Maisel's fiance was at and becomes his roommate and then says, Hey, I'll mail all your letters to her. And then puts them in the trash and basically this, like sabotage their relationship. Could what this Jerry be real? I don't know. It's, That's it's so sensational. Is. It sounds like a story that an old blowhard would tell. Yeah, it but- does. I don't know. Yeah, but that's that's part of the the strategy with how he talks about all this stuff too is that like my dad led a double life and so did I. My mom yeah. was a strict fundamentalist nitpicker like Jonathan. And that's yeah. why we don't get along. That's why my dad and my and my grandma or my mom, you know, had such a bad relationship and he was trying to escape her. Like I yeah. mean, he just literally lights the whole family on fire. He really to try does to distance himself from this and like reconcile his his actions. So his his point about you know I just don't like being troubled by these evangelicals and their moral superiority. Like that's all he's touted. All he touted was moral superiority, yeah, with his conservative religion. But then this, I think, what's really fascinating about it, and I think this is what sheds a lot of light on him and his character. This is a quote from the article. I'm just going to read it verbatim because I think it's. I, you know, he's a journalist and writes good. And I don't say things sometimes <laughs> says Jerry was at a spiritual crossroads. He didn't want to be a fundamentalist, but he wasn't an atheist either. Jerry said he majored in religious studies at Liberty so he could figure out what he really believed. Also side note, if you want to figure out what you really believe, religious studies at Liberty, not the place for that. Trust me. <laughs> get that. It's not super helpful. Um, it was during a course on apologetics, the study of defending Christianity to non-believers, that Jerry said he was persuaded it was rational to believe Jesus was literally the Son of God and the miracles of the Bible happened. I became a true Christian in college. Newly confident in his faith, Jerry decided believing in Christ didn't mean he had to follow the evangelical rules. I think that's true. That's me saying that. Sidebar. Sam Shipman thinks that's true. Back to the quote. Jerry says, organized religion says you have to earn your way to heaven. What Jesus said was, you just have to believe. There's the rub. He thinks that this is rational and it makes sense. And Jesus says, all I have to do is believe to what? Get your ticket to heaven. And guess what? Now you can do whatever the fuck you want. And that's his religion. Yeah. And I, I think that Jerry's got some psychopathic tendencies. 
he probably really doesn't have any moral concerns about any of the things that he did or how he wielded power or used university resources or, you know, even like threw his wife under the bus when all of this, you know, affair stuff came out. Like, I think all of this just shows that this is a guy who wanted to do what he wanted to do. He didn't care what the rules said. And he had justified it in whatever way is necessary. Christianity was a belief of convenience for him because it gave him access to the resources that his dad had. And a paycheck. He was making $800,000 a year by the time he had to leave that school. He turned, the, it, it, in this article, he admits that the reason he turned down, because remember he, he was asked to be, what was he? He was asked, I, I have to pull it up in order to remember fully. He was asked to be on and by Trump something to do with education. I don't know if it was what Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Greene ended up getting, whatever. But basically he could have had a seat in that cabinet and, but he turned it down and he specifically says it's because he would have been taking a pay cut from his $800,000 a year job. Yeah. Which now, is a funny sidebar that came up this week. Um, I've been watching a lot of uh, news coverage about like, you know, the debate around whether or not, senators and congressmen should be able to invest while they're in office, right? Because there's like a huge number of senators that have outperformed the, the S and P index and all of that stuff. Like they're, they're clearly just dominating when it comes to investments and stuff. One of which is Republican Senator from Texas, Dan Crenshaw who's kind of a favorite of, of, you know, like the less religious right right now, whatever. I think he's still like a showboating grandstander, like so many other ones. But uh, Dan Crenshaw made a ton of money investing last year. And when cornered on it, uh, whether or not he thought that there should be a ban on investments from senators and congressmen and stuff, he basically said like, no, I mean, how are you even supposed to better yourself when you're only making, you know, whatever it is, 150 or whatever it is that senators and stuff make. And I don't know. It was just funny. It was telling. Yeah. It's not a one side thing. Like they're all on it together. Um, yeah. So the, before we, before we dip here, um, we got to talk about the, uh, on. the Giancarlo Granda situation. Yeah. Because we've been hearing like Giancarlo's version of the story. Jean. Jean. Is that what it is? Is it Jean? Jean, I think so. I you think don't even Gian, know when you're jumping Gian. down my throat. I think it's Guyan. I just hear it say that way, and Gian doesn't sound like doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> GC. John Carlo sounds like a juggalo name. Absolutely. Let's just call him Daddy G. Daddy, big daddy G stacks. <laughs> but you know, he's been like pretty public about his, you know, his take on the story, and like he tells it. In- Until recently, because he has a uh, book coming out and a Hulu series in the works. So he's not uh, really saying much right now. <laughs> Fallwells wouldn't pay, so he had to go the other route. Uh, but um, Daddy G's version of this story makes so much more sense than the Fallwells. Oh my God. So much more sense. Dude, listening, reading through this in the way that they're telling the story was unbelievable like it's it doesn't so make goofy. any sense at all it's like we met him but then we had an affair but jerry didn't know about it until after he said like 
till like a year or so after he decided to have a business deal with a college kid who knows absolutely nothing, whose first pitch, (laughs) (laughs) his first pitch, I have the quote because it's so fucking funny. It's uh, one afternoon at the pool, Gronda struck up a conversation with Jerry and Becky while taking their food order. Granda mentioned he was working to pay for courses at Florida International University. Jerry thought Granda seemed like an ambitious college kid and wished him luck. Very ambitious. He took, I've, listen, I've had a lot of people take my food order and you know when they're ambitious and when they're not. So I, I feel like Jerry and I have a lot in common when it comes to picking up on these cues. Oh, you have a lot um, in common. That's for sure. <laughs> he says, uh, according to Becky, Granda slipped her his cell phone number. The next day, she invited him up to see the view from their room. She said Jerry was present when Granda visited. And you know, sexual as people happened. do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so normal. <laughs> Jerry said he didn't know then that Becky and Granda began speaking constantly. Uh, okay, a little bit of role reversal uh, or role play here. Casey, you and April are on vacation. Okay. You, it's strapping. And, wait, you be the pool boy? upside yeah yeah okay let's Ups- see how this would play out i'd be like boy boy my drink is my cup is nearly empty let me go get what were you drinking were you drinking pool water <laughs> give me that top shelf wild turkey or i'll fire your dad <laughs> Okay, so I know you work here and all, but have you ever seen the view from the (laughs) the third floor from the top's balcony? So (laughs) you and April are at the pool. This guy rolls up, dude. I'm talking. He's got he's got short shorts on for a bathing suit. He's a Miami, a a tan and tone Miami upside down triangle. He is an upside down triangle on sticks (laughs) and. This guy fucks. You know, he fucks like a motherfucker. And he goes, can I take you guys to the order? And you're over there simping in the corner like a bitch, right? You're like, uh, I'll have the chicken fingers, right? Yep. <laughs> I'm with you so far. Like, uh, do you have ranch dressing? Yeah. <laughs> do you have something like ranch dressing? So April places a nice drink order, makes eye contact, smiles a lot. And then, uh, I don't know, somehow, without you knowing, slips him a piece of paper. With her. A few hours later, you guys are up in the hotel room. You're like, you want to fool around? And she's like, no, no, okay, not right now, Casey. And, and then you have a knock on the door. And this guy, I'm talking like, dude, broad shoulders, six pack, packs for days, right? Comes in. And she's like, oh, that's the guy who took our order earlier. Do you remember him? You're like, how could I forget a chiseled body that makes me so insecure like that? And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> she just, just takes him over to the window. I'm like, look at this. This could all be yours if you just work hard in college, young man. And in all the while, you're like, this is so normal. I've never, I would never expect anything's going on between these two. Think Think about what a lunatic he would have to be to slip someone's wife his number. Like right in a front lunatic. of them. A lunatic. A <laughs> lunatic. So yeah. Also, all these pictures, like the pictures came out, right? That's what Cohen was supposedly covering up was topless pictures of Becky. And then there's like the sex tapes. It's like, 
Jerry was taking those and filming those. That's what makes sense. It doesn't make sense that they set up a tripod and figured this out so that way they could have this for later. Like, this is a three-part participation game. Yeah. And the the details of the business deal were so ridiculous. Like, like, the, like basically awful. saying that, like, they couldn't pull out of the hotel purchase after it was started. So, like, even Based though... Based on business ethics? This guy has none. Even though Jerry had just learned like two days beforehand that they were supposedly having, and this is all allegedly, even though he had allegedly learned like two days beforehand that this young stud, Daddy G, was banging his wife behind his back, he was like, well, I don't think we should let that get in the way of our business relationship. Let's buy this one and a half million dollar hotel together. Um, Come on up for my daughter's wedding. You invited the guy who's banging your wife behind your back to your daughter's wedding? I think it was his son's wedding, Trey Falwell. Okay. One of your forgettable children's wedding? (laughs) Dude, here's what's crazy about this, though. is after I think it was after the wedding. I think this is probably the worst part about the whole article. Is I'm I'm going to read verbatim from this because I don't want to stumble over it. In April 2012, a month after... After, no, mm, I'm on the wrong spot. Motherfuck. Hold up. Here we go. Granda drove drove from Miami to Washington, D.C. in late August 2019. He was going with his family for some reason. Um, so this was after the affair. Oh, they're just business partners. He goes to the wedding. If you listen to Granda's side of the story, there's a lot of calls and texts exchanged in between this that are very volatile. Um <laughs> Clearly not the type of people you just invite into your life and to do shit. Um, so Granda drove from Miami to Washington, D.C. in late August 2018. Jerry even offered to let Granda, his mom, and his sister stay on the farm to break up the trip. To break up the trip, you drive from Miami to Washington, D.C. You're only like, what, three hours from Washington, D.C.? Like, if you're going to break up the trip, you get a hotel in the middle. Uh, pretty sure after this business deal, Granda could afford it. Talk about so, Fox and the hen house too. Yeah. So, well, here, that, that morning, the morning after Granda and his family arrived at the farm, Becky said Granda texted her that the Wi-Fi in the guest house wasn't working. Becky said moments later, she found Granda in her daughter Caroline's bedroom. He explained he wanted to stay there because there was internet service. Becky said the next thing she knew, Granda pushed her onto the bed. They hadn't slept together since 2014. It's been four years. She said she didn't want to start again. He said he wanted to have sex. And I said, no, 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 Becky recalled. Jerry was in the shower down the hall and couldn't hear what was happening. Becky said Granda kept pressuring her. (laughs) Jerry was sitting in the shower drunk. I kept saying, (laughs) I kept saying no, I didn't want to do it, but I was scared to death of him too, because he was willing, because he was still holding everything over me. So you're still in business mutually with a guy who's supposedly holding everything over you. So he was still holding everything over me. So we had sex. Becky said it was over quickly. He left and I went into the room and just cried. Granda declined to comment. Becky said she didn't report the traumatic experience at the time because she knew from personal experience working at Liberty University that they don't, nobody takes those claims seriously. Just kidding. That's not what she said. She said because she felt guilty about the affair. I know. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's so true, but it's terrible. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I mean, if so that's she, true, that's awful. But this is what's awful about this situation is, uh, look, a lot of shit's happened to Liberty. A lot of people have made complaints about sexual assault and harassment on campus from people who very clearly are sexually assaulty. Like they, the, you hear the stories and the corroboration. And you're like, absolutely. I would not trust these people alone in a room with anybody. So when you hear like part of me feels like, even though you're not supposed to not believe people with everything going on, with all the shade they've faced from their title nine dealings at Liberty, like what, after all this time, despite any credible reason to believe their stories to begin with, to come out swinging with an accusation of rape does not feel believable. Yeah. Yeah. If this is your, your grand plan to discredit Daddy G, I don't think it's going where you need it to go. You're not going to get the yeah. mileage out of this that you were hoping for, especially this late in the storytelling game. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And, you know, like... You could, I mean, they could reasonably make the argument that there was an affair, whether Jerry was involved or not, and Granda blackmailed them and kept them, you know, interacting with him and stuff. Like, there, you you could concoct a story like that. That would at least make some sense. What doesn't make sense is the fact that, like, you guys keep banging this dude long afterwards and you keep introducing yeah. new things like you keep i mean at one point they're they invited like invited him to liberty to meet trump when they had him speak on campus like they're like talking about him getting a picture with trump and while jerry like smiles and beams in the background it's like wow he they had the same dynamic whether becky was there or not <laughs> <laughs> turns out jerry jr just loves to watch jean carlo do just regular things too <laughs> He's like, hey, do you want to go have a grab a bite to eat at the rot? And then Giancarlo sits down to take a bite of that dried out cardboardy like hamburger that he squeezed a little too much ketchup and mayo on. He takes a bite. The mayo drips down the side of his cheek. Jerry Jr. beams glowingly. <laughs> and then he commands one of his underlings like Ron Godwin. He's like, wipe it off his face. Wipe his face for him. <laughs> and use your goatee. <laughs> 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 yeah so uh there's so much more in this article that uh we could go on and on about it's it really is ridiculous like it's of course you know vanity fair didn't go there to do a puff piece for the Fallwells, you know so there is some stuff in there that i think sheds some light on the situation i think jerry shares some things that make it you know you you can understand a little bit how he gets to where he is but overall there is just no coming back from this no. scandal it, it lets you understand that like a little bit better about why he may maybe why assuming anything he says is true but maybe why he's kind of shitty but i there is like there was some backlash to them writing to the piece on him um I don't know how big. I just know people are like, why are you guys still giving this person the time of day? Like, which I guess is an interesting also, story. Who cares? And I, and I do get it because just because some people are over, like, I mean, our lives are wrapped up in, in it. You know, we went there like he, he, I mean, the fact that he was basically told that after his, his endorsement of Trump effectively won them, won Trump, the presidency. I don't necessarily buy that. I think that was some, you know, I think that's some hyperbole for sure. Cause one of the things he talks about is like, 
oh, I didn't want to be a, a Christian celebrity, but what to choice did I have? I had to take the job. My dad died and I wasn't ready for that. I thought I had more time. It's like, fuck you, dude. You weren't a Christian celebrity. He, Jerry Jr. died. I mean, Jerry Sr. died and everyone goes, holy shit, Jerry's dead. Like, oh, his son's taking over. Crickets for a while. Crickets for years until he started being a shithead. Like no one fucking yeah. cared about him or his opinions or his spirituality. He could have easily never said anything to indicate that he was an evangelical Christian. He could have just been, well, not that there's a whole lot of delineation between evangelicals and just like your con- typical like conservatives like him. That he would have blended in just fine. He could have just showed up at Convo every once in a while, talked about whatever he needed to, and introduced Trump when he had to. And like he didn't have to do that. He th- there was zero requirement from him to portray himself as any more spiritual than he actually was. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean it's it's part of the persona that he crafted for himself. He wanted to be like a mix of his dad and Rush Limbaugh. Yep, and that's what he did. And you know he wasn't smart enough to manage that persona. Like that's part of what the problem is here is that he is not a well-spoken, charismatic character. He tried to be, he really tried to portray himself as that, but he's not. He's a dull, slow-spoken doofus that has continually stuck his foot in his mouth at every opportunity. You know, it doesn't mean he's a bad businessman. I mean, he did a lot of things that were really great for the college as a business, but like he is not going to be this voice on the national stage that's what i can't right. figure out is like what does he think is next for him because I, yeah, he, he doesn't have the pockets to buy his way into prominence with the, the republican party like he's no banking one on that trump win dude he's banking on it dude nobody cares about him now that he doesn't control the university like the, the Falwell name doesn't mean much of anything anymore before all of this scandal. And now it really doesn't mean anything, especially since, you know, he's disgraced and he's no longer affiliated with the college. Like there is no place for him in the public spotlight in the conservative side. I mean, because they I don't think, get anything out of it. Like, I think he thinks I think he thinks he got his seat at the table because he brought something to it. On his own accord or personally or right. his brain. But it's like, no. You threw without, the weight of the college around. Yeah. Your seat at the table has been taken away because you don't have the power left to make, you don't have the influence. That's all people want. That's what people are buying. That's why you were getting rich. Like, and he wasn't, like you said, he wasn't dumb before Jerry died. Jerry brought him in to the school to help save it from bankruptcy. And Jerry did that. Jerry effectively... Maybe you could argue unethically when it comes to the way he handled LU online, whatever. You could argue that Jerry's only job was to come in and try to save it financially. And that's what he was doing before Jerry died. And then he got the university and he did. He saved the university from financial ruin. There probably should have been some other people on the inside saying, look, if you're going to hire someone to come in and save the company financially, maybe you should have some other people to level that out and say, based on our Christian values that we purportedly have, we maybe shouldn't uh, mislead people with LU online and take their money and not really give them the education they were asking for. Maybe you should have thought about some of those things. But at the end of the day, he was able to financially resurrect that school without having having to have any Christian influence or put on that, put that hat on for the sake of anything. So I don't know. It, it's all 
it's all like it's not that he wasn't smart or he didn't have something to offer the school at that time, but he definitely has absolutely nothing to offer the Republican Party or evangelical. No. So uh, that's Jerry. Uh, not an evil person, not a smart person, um, not a kind of a shitty speaker person. within the, the 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 future of the country. I mean, I think I'll delineate between evil and bad. I don't think he's an evil person. Maybe I think he's a bad person. I think he's just shitty. Yeah, I think he's just a fucking that's fair silver spoon asshole. Just who fucking sucks. I want to do what I want to do without complaint or criticism from anyone. Like it's my birthright. I should be able to be whatever type of person I want while still claiming the moral high ground on everything and using it to my advantage. Yeah. I don't want that, but I want the money. So I'll do that, but pretend like I didn't want to the whole time and then cry about it when people hold me accountable for my actions. It's like, fuck you. You're such a little baby boy. Like he's just a silver spoon asshole. That's all he is. Can I ask you a more, uh, a more complicated question. Something tells me. So what, it's not going to be particularly complicated. What do you think of uh, what's what's your read on Giancarlo? My read on him? I don't know. I mean, I I got to say him like turning his shit into a book in a and uh, Hulu docu series is like I don't know. I'm like, are are you? Yeah, I, I get wanting to profit off of things. Maybe I would too if I was in his situation. But once people start, pro- once people have the opportunity to turn a story into money instead of just truth for truth's sake, I instantly start trusting them. I don't trust Becky and Jerry more. Uh, that's for goddamn sure. You know, I, I don't know if I feel that way necessarily. Like, you know, what's the last 10 years of his life has been an absolute disaster. 14 years of his life has been kind of a disaster yeah, because of the situation he was bit. in. I also like the language that's used around him is that he was groomed by the Falwells. I don't know if I'm I, I don't know if that's where I see Granda. I, you know, he's 20 years old. You know, if he was working for the Falwells and it had this like sense of, you know, he was, he was younger, pushed into like, these situations. This started when he was like 15 or 16. I think the word grooming makes a little more sense. Yeah. I think he's he's an adult. He he he's a savvy, smart dude. He made the decision to get involved with these people and there was obvious financial benefits for doing that. Getting out of the situation was a lot trickier, you know, which I can understand. Like once you're maybe you don't realize the gravity of the, of what you're taking on when you get involved with somebody like the Falwells. But yeah, I think like painting him as a a victim of like sexual assault or grooming or whatever. I don't know that I think that's an accurate way to portray him. Yeah. I mean, depending on how it all played out, if they were like, Hey, you know, we're just a, we're just a middle-aged couple that, um, and my wife likes to get, you know, tossed around the bedroom, like a porn star, then, you know, you seem like you're, you fit the bill to be able to handle that kind of a job. Are you here for that? He's like, yeah, I'm here for that. Have you ever had somebody watch? No, that's weird. I don't know if I'm into that. Let's find out. Like, I don't know. Who knows what he's had done beforehand? I don't know what kind of experiences he had in college. Maybe he's had his threesomes and his foursomes. And he was like, oh, all I have to do is let someone sit in the corner and stroke themselves with a fucking <laughs> camcorder in their left hand. That's fine. I, 
uh, that'd be tough for somebody who maybe had anxiety around blinking red lights, but I think he did just fine and was able to handle it. I'm interested to learn more about him because like my, my instinct is that he's a pretty smart guy that has, has figured I mean, out. Jerry how to, like, picked up on how business savvy he was. So right. I think you're right. There, you know, his, his organization for gaming addiction. <laughs> we didn't say that. I got cut off. That's what you're trying to find. We're, yeah. That's we're, closing <laughs> we're, we're closing with that because that shit was funny as fuck, dude. All right. It was, um, <clears throat> Uh, okay. Scrolling, 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 scrolling. I took a lot of notes. Okay. <laughs> I cannot find it. We'll have to clean up some of this dead space. Hold up. Okay. In April 2012, a month after meeting Granda, Jerry and Becky vacationed at Chica Lodge, a luxury resort on Islamorada. I don't know. About 90 minutes south of Miami. They, oh my God. Becky told Jerry that the young guy who worked at the Fontainebleau pool wanted to drive down. Don't give me words from other countries to say. Come Fontaine on, Blue. what is this bullshit? Fontainebleau. Um, Jerry said it didn't seem at all strange. <laughs> I like that he says that. Like Becky was like, You're hey, remember that pool boy that talking I- Talking to the pool boy? Yeah. Remember that pool <laughs> boy I invited up to our room just to get a really nice view of the pool that he works at? <laughs> I invited him to tell you about his business idea. I know it's been a little while, but <laughs> Jerry said that didn't seem weird. He was happy to help Granda. This, uh, this is the best, dude. This is the most fucking uh, just pandery bullshit. Jerry, Jerry said he didn't. It didn't seem strange. He was happy to help Granda, the son of a first-generation Cuban Mexican immigrants. Okay. I'm sure you would love to point out how happy you were to help. Immigrants. He just has a heart for immigrants. Uh, over dinner. This is it. Okay. Granda told Jerry he wanted to start an organization to treat video game addiction. Granda explained he was a recovering gaming addict in high school. The habit had cost Granda his place on the varsity baseball team. Gaming addiction is not a problem that needs any. Okay, I believe the followers now. I didn't, but then after realizing that, that was his first, <laughs> after I realized that was his first pitch, I was like, "Oh, okay." I, I just think gonna, I think the followers are reasonable. I could just imagine the conversations that were had leading up to that with him and his buddies, where he like he just thinks that he got into like a kinky uh, sexual weekend with a you know upper middle class couple from Virginia. And then goes home and does some Google and he's like, oh, man, these people have money. Like these people have money. And she's still texting me a lot, an uncomfortable yeah. amount. I just, <laughs> I just love that. I absolutely think it's incredible that in light of this conversation, calling back to the first one they had from him taking their order, Jerry's like, he seems like a really smart guy. I'm going to wish him luck. So then he comes at him with a pitch for a business to help with gaming addiction. And Jerry's like, I don't think that's a good idea, dude. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no. Uh, how about you invest in the CD hotel? And Jerry's like, that's more my yeah. kind of shit. <laughs> Do you have an idea for me to bilk money out of you? <laughs> the people that I want to hear from, like I want to hear from, uh, they talk about Jesus Sr. and Jesus Jr., who are the ones that like found the, hot the, the hostel that they eventually bought. And... It's funny because during the purchase, these two realize that they're not getting anything out of it. 
and oh uh, yeah and that's where things started to go real sideways because they, they thought they had their own scam going. I know. And it got <laughs> shut down. I would love to talk to Jesus Jr. and see what that was all about. Oh, my God. That would be unreal. S- send the email, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it just It's all a joke. Oh, uh, he seems really smart. Hey, remember that really smart guy who came to our room? He has a business idea. Shows up. <laughs> I have a passion for helping people solve their gaming addictions. Nah, dude, that's dumb. <laughs> but you still seem really smart. So what's your next idea? And I'll definitely go with that for sure. No questions asked. I, th- I uh, imagine it was more like... Weird hostile. <laughs> okay, I'm in. I'm in. I know a guy who works at a hotel that's for sale, and he's like, that sounds real interesting, boy. Tell, tell me about it with your pants off. <laughs> tell my wife, Becky, about it. With your pants off. <laughs> Anyways, okay. oh my God. that was fun. So uh, we're about to be joined by uh, Anthony, who's a, a listener that has been with us for a long time. Basically, since we started the Discord, Anthony's been a part of it, and we've gotten to talk quite a bit together. Um, he's going to be joining us here for the last bit of the episode to talk about his story and upbringing, and we're very excited to meet him. So. We'll be right back with our buddy, Anthony. Holy shit, everyone. It's 2022. And what better way to bring in the new year than with Captain Cecil's coffee? New year, new coffees with flavors like Atlantic and Daymark. There is a host of single source blends, one that is surely going to fit your palate and make your morning a lot better. Captain Cecil's proudly donates 10% of all sales to various lighthouse preservation organizations across New England. Going into the holiday season, he offered us a very generous promo code of 20%. But because Captain Cecil's loves us and the growing up Christian community so much, he's decided to extend that 20% to our listeners going into the new year. So go to CaptainCecil'sCoffee.com and remember to enter the promo code Growing Up Christian at checkout for 20% off your order. And of course, all orders over $50 get free shipping that's captain cecil's coffee.com enter promo code growing up christian and we're back with our buddy anthony anthony how you doing good good thanks for having me yeah absolutely um so you've been a part of the discord i think basically since we started it so we've gotten a chat in there a little bit and stuff and really interested to hear about your a growing up Christian story. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a pretty small town in northern Michigan, like 2,000 people. And then I went to a private Christian school within that town um, from preschool to eighth grade. Uh, my family had been involved with the church for years. Uh, my grandma taught preschool there for like 35 years. Uh, Was pretty- she qualified? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it was three and four year olds. She had cool toys, I remember. And we watched The Lion King, and it was a good time. Everyone was loved your favorite my toy, Christ on a Cross? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> play morning at the foot of the cross. That's favorite game. Yeah, I, could take it, I would take it home to grandma, and she'd have to bring it back. You got to share this with the other kids. It's crosses for everyone. Bad. The bad kids would like put the cross up and like toss dice underneath it. You can't, you can't put this under your pillow and wake up with a dime. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, 
And so that was a that was a Lutheran church. Uh, so they're pretty like I don't know how familiar with Lutherans, but they're like Catholic light pretty much. They're yeah, Lutherans. Right. They can go either way, man. I mean, they're uh, shout out to anyone who knows this name, but one of the good Lutherans would be your Nadia Boltz Webers. I don't know if anyone's familiar with her name in this conversation, but she was a Lutheran minister, and she's really dope. Uh, she's no longer Lutheran minister. Either way. And you make fun of my references. <laughs> well, if she was a Star been, Wars uh, character, I'd know who she was. My All my references have been properly <laughs> ordained. Come on. Yeah. That I does no sound like a Star Wars character. Nadia Bolt's Weber could easily be a Star Wars character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was it like a Lutheran um, curriculum that they used at the school or... Yeah, and you know, I feel like the curriculum wavered a lot in my time there. Um, I feel like the school was kind of in shambles in the 90s because no one really sent their kids there. So their tuition was coming from their small like membership congregation base. Um, and then when I was in middle school, they brought back this principal who had taught there in the 80s, like he had taught my dad and stuff. And he came back and like, we got we definitely got science books that were this big. Like we said the word evolution. <laughs> You know, <laughs> at least you said um, it. Don't say it three times in a mirror, though, because then evolution <laughs> then might show up and, and yeah. your throat from behind you. Something crazy you'll like develop uh, gills, <laughs> ascend into heaven all on my own. <laughs> yeah. Um, the flip side of that, though, is like I feel like overall I did get a pretty good education there because it was small. Like I graduated eighth grade with four kids, four or five kids. So, you know, you got a lot of attention paid to you all the time, which was, as a kid, uh, felt like a curse, but it was probably <laughs> better for my education. Like, I feel like I went into high school, I had failed math in seventh and eighth grade, and I failed it again in ninth grade, and I swear it was just the same math class, just we were just a little ahead of them, and so I just failed the same math class like three times. But they still just pushed you on forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Actually, funny thing about that, we have to do confirmation in Lutherans, uh, and it's like okay. a class built into the, the the school. It's like outside of religion, it's a whole nother class. And, you know, I was definitely not really into it. And I went to my principal and I was like, hey, I don't think I should do confirmation because you're supposed to get up in front of everyone and like, you know, I believe and I'm part of this, you know, whatever. And I and he told me that since I had failed math, he would fail me in religion and catechism and would hold me back from the public high school. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'll, I'll do it, man. I'll do it. And That's another heavy soul belongs to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he goes yeah. over to his little like tally board and just crosses out the four <laughs> lines. He's like, not another one, Lord and Savior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say you love Jesus or you can't be on the football team. Yeah, it's like that <laughs> shitty uncle who's like, you're tick that you're just getting tickled and like, say uncle, say uncle. <laughs> like, he just tickles your feet until you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny too because that that public high school was it was literally right up the road. I could see it from my classroom window, and we had a fence with barbed wire and spikes facing in, which is so <laughs> weird for a kid's school. Oh my god! Yeah, I think it's gone now. I think I took a bunch of pictures and was going to put them in the discord but i ended up not for some reason but yeah so the high school was just there and i was always looking at like one day one day i'll be a part of that secular world <laughs> <laughs> that's so unbelievable it was, kind of a it was kind of a relief when you finally got to go to the high school then 
Sort of. Um, my since my dad was pretty evangelical and like a lot of secular media wasn't allowed or it was very like just I never understood how they picked what was good and what was bad. Um, my idea of high school is based off of movies like Can't Hardly Wait and stuff. <laughs> so I thought we were all just going to be having sex and doing drugs and stuff. And I didn't realize that I was in a small town and most of the kids at the high school were Christian, too, just more of the the laissez-faire type and so i would talk some trash and they'd be like can you not disrespect our religion it's like oh okay that is funny i think about that with like when i was in school when i was in college at liberty it's like i i remember talking i got a job at a shoe store and i was working with a girl who went to one of the high schools in town and it was like i was like so what's what was that like like how was yours she's like i mean it's almost like being in christian school like it, because it's such a it's such a environmental thing like everybody is that's part of your environment everyone's kind of christian in the south everyone's kind of southern baptist like even when you go to school and it's funny because now like when you look at the way like you know i guess one of like the big topics right now is curriculum it's, it's always a topic there's always something new that conservative states don't want to force their children to learn in public schools right now it's yeah. critical race theory but Every, those things always come so when you look at like states like texas where it's like everyone's like i'm a christian public school is like 98 percent christian and the atheist to the outlier mm -hmm. the fact that christian schools are thriving in texas is pretty mind-boggling mm -hmm. it's like there's yeah. a free option there's a free almost a basically a free alternative to this which is public school with all Christian teachers that will only teach you Christian things. So I don't but know if you want to do the free one. Kindergartner put a condom on a banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, I think my family was just so entrenched in the church school that that's like, I don't know why we, yeah, you said we your were dad not... went there. Yeah. My dad, my aunts and uncles, like my grandma taught there for a very long time. Uh, Damn. Yeah, so it was a. Fa I mean, my family, I'm pretty sure in like the 50s had a little more uh, clout going for them. They're upstanding members of the community. I think one of my uncles was like a state senator. Um, and then like my family, like I just feel like we're kind of just white trash. Like we had a fall from grace <laughs> somewhere along the way. Like we were just poor people. Like we didn't have nothing. <laughs> you didn't, but they were trying to world. retake the throne. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, I was the head of my generation. So I was the prototype. Uh, my parents are pretty young, so my aunts and uncles would all take me in. And, and everyone put a lot of stock in me. Uh, everyone thought I was really smart because I could read, I guess. You know? <laughs> I can cheat on standardized tests. Yeah. Um, it's easy to cheat on standardized tests when the proctor gives you all this. That is true. <laughs> we want our school to be defunded. Dude, you you talked about like your your school just kind of being like a leech on the church because it doesn't support itself. Like that's exactly how my school was. Is like the church really just wanted to send all their money off to missionaries, but they had this like pesky school that like ten percent of the church's children went to, and it was just like, oh, we if only we didn't have to pay for this school, we could send another fifty thousand dollars a year to. You know, Papa New Guinea. Yeah. Is there like a souls for dollars metric that you guys had going there? <laughs> for like $50,000 a year in that school is like three or four, maybe five souls. I bet no it costs at least $10,000. No one in the school could do a metric. 
if there was one. <laughs> I mean, the missionary work does pretty good over there, right? So it's it's paying off, right? They're getting a lot. I guess of the exchange, that way. Yeah. yeah. I guess the exchange rate over there is pretty good, but. I feel like when you put people, I feel like when you're like raising funds in your church for missionary stuff, they're like, we need $10,000 to build a school. And you're like, wow, that's it. $10,000. Because obviously it costs so much more here. But that school then saves how many souls? I, I don't know. I, I'd like to, I just, I don't send my money anywhere unless they tell me exactly how many souls it's going to save. And that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, there was a, actually when I was going there, there was a huge contentious debate because they were building a new church and school and the old people wanted to build the church and the young families wanted to build the school first at the new location. And I remember I was kind of too young to know what was going on, but there were these voters meetings with the congregation and people would come out just pissed. And uh, I found out recently talking to my uncle, what happened is the elders of the church said, okay, we'll build the school first because that was the majority of the congregation at the time was young families. And then just said, fuck it, built the church anyways. Like, oh. And now they're all dead and the school just got built like six years ago or something. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't lose their youngest family. I, I, they, original, they lost a lot. Yeah. My original thought was that the, uh, the, church, lot, the, the church vote lost because they had just lost Mary and Kathy two nights before the vote. And it just was a bummer. <laughs> just like, tip we, the scale. Yeah. It was going to be a 51 50 and now it's 49. So they will have three people who were technically members, but had dementia to the point they didn't know where they were. Like, <laughs> Raise your hand or you don't get pudding. <laughs> I, I think their loan was pretty egregious too it's like they're still paying it off because i go to church there with my grandma when i visit because she loves it it's fun for me um but they still have the chart it's a big thermometer and it's like six million dollars or something like that oh my it's god a thermometer it's Can like you take a picture drop. of that next time you go yeah yeah i will <laughs> yeah. please that's uh, amazing that's, yeah. dude i think it's cool that you still go like because a lot of people have a hard time continue like people feel almost like it's a triggering environment for them they're like oh my god get me out of here but i think it's kind of cool that you can do that with your grandma and just as something for her and be like yeah i don't i i've moved on or i don't care enough about this at all anymore where i can just go and it's fine and it means something to her so i'll do it that's pretty sick yeah i um i think it is a little easier for me because to toot my own horn a little i don't remember a time when i believed i'm sure there was you know when Hmm. i was young enough but i i don't remember so to me it's always just been a place i had to go with grandma anyways you know and so when i go back now like i said before that the whole prodigal son image that i have she just eats it up and we have a good day we go make pierogies together and we go to church and i shake hands with these old people with dementia i'm like you're still alive oh my god (laughs) (laughs) pierogies is such a grandma food (laughs) yeah well yeah we uh we ate them a lot she's from canada so we had a lot of pierogies growing up (laughs) so you really don't i'm interested to hear a little bit more about how it never resonated with you because it's it's hard for me to imagine growing up in it and never just instinctually believing in it because that was what you was like kind of like bred into so you really like you're talking like from when you were young, you always were just like, I don't I don't know yeah. about it. Did you have like a cognitive like I truly don't believe this or did you feel like it never resonated with you? Explain like kind of if as best as you can, like what that experience was like and how you didn't believe in it. 
Yeah, so I think the the cognitive awareness of it was I do know there was a period of time where I was struggling, feeling bad because I didn't believe in it, and I felt like everyone else did. And so I think that, in a sense, is kind of believing in it. Like, I feel bad that I don't believe in you, Jesus. <laughs> like, you know, would you potentially forgive me if I ask permission one day? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Just but enough I, of it sunk in where you're like, the guilt is making you feel like it must be real, otherwise I wouldn't feel guilty about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think a lot of where it stemmed from is just uh, my my mom met my dad who raised me when I was like two and him and I never got along. And that was his thing. Like really was his thing. And so I felt like I was always in conflict with him. So okay. that was, I was always in conflict with God, basically, which was dad at the same time, you know. So I think it stemmed from that. And then just as I got older, I I never felt a pull back to it. You know, I've, I never really had doubts as an adult that I can remember. I think the most spiritual I ever got was I like started reading about astrology and tarot for a while, you know, but I never, never got pulled into anything spiritual. I always say like, I don't think I have a spiritual bone in my body. Like I always just think someone's full of shit when they tell me anything special happened, you know, I think. Yeah, I think that's, I don't, that one's one that's tough for me too, because people will tell you about like a spiritual experience they have. And I, I, I think like, I don't necessarily believe that what they think happened happened, but it's like you try not to be an, just a killjoy mm-hmm. douche about it. Like, no, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, it's obviously that was a powerful thing for you and you really enjoy thinking about it and dwelling on it and talking about it and reading about it. Like, that's great, but I don't think that's going to happen to me, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that too. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's hard to find that balance between the two. Totally. Well, maybe what you think isn't happening isn't happening. Casey, have you thought about that? No, and I refuse to. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I I like that approach. I feel like that's the approach I try and take. Uh, I feel like I went through my snottiest, snotty atheist phase like pretty early, you know, I read some Hitchens and got all mad about it. And then I just stopped caring as I got older. I was like, let people be people as, as long as no one's like harming anyone else. They can believe that they just had a vision, I guess, you know? Yeah. What's a uh, now? Going to a tiny little school like that, uh, I went to two tiny little schools. One that I'd spent most of my undergrad years at, and then I went to another really small one before that. And I remember like the really small one, there was not really anybody my age there or very few people. And no one that I really like, I didn't really have any good friends there because there just wasn't many to pick from and I didn't hit it off of them. Like, were there cool people at your school or people that you, you know, did you have good friends there or was it kind of a survival just, you know, coasting through it? Um, I'd say a little column A, a little column B. There was, like I said, four kids that I graduated with and I had known them forever and our families had known each other forever. Um, and I'm still really good friends with one of them. Um, but I'd say once we all went to high school, we all kind of just drifted apart from each other none of those friendships seemed to really last and even though we had kind of this bonding experience together you know um and i actually started talking sorry go ahead go ahead uh i just actually started talking to some of them now you know and we're all like in our early 30s and reconnecting like 
oh man, remember like when Mr. Smith, blah, 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 you know, and, and now we're bonding over it. Oh, that's cool. Did, um, did your school only go until eighth grade? Yes. Yeah. Wow. They really abandoned the high schoolers like that. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually a, a Christian high school, uh, there. And I think only two kids were in the whole high school. Uh, that's called that homeschooling was, at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a different building, just not at home. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, I had homeschool co-ops that were way bigger than that. It's funny because homeschoolers do that. That's what they have. They like, once a week, we go to homeschool co-op where someone who's qualified to teach a class actually teaches a class. Like, so mm-hmm. when I'm in Spanish, you know, I took a Spanish class, Spanish class with someone who fluently spoke Spanish. And that was Kind of helped. That was actually really helpful for me because not that it mattered. I never took Spanish in college and it didn't carry on. But prior to that, I would, there's, man, there was this cool homeschooling movement where like everyone would get, it was like a satellite. Um, It's like satellite TV, but strictly for homeschool curriculum. And you would, yeah, you would subscribe to certain classes through it. Uh, So I remember when they drilled the hole through my wall to bring in the cable to set up to like connect the satellite to whatever. And it like you would, I would sit down and at run the, the right string time, through to the cup. Yeah. <laughs> and I would put it to my ear and I would hear someone speak Spanish and have to figure it out. It, it, it's weird coming from a styrofoam dialect that changes things a little bit, but, uh, but it was like at 10 AM is when my Spanish class was. Cause it actually had times. And then I would every morning at 10 AM, I would, my day was like, I'd get up, go downstairs, eat my breakfast, go upstairs back into my room where the TV and stuff was. And I would watch my class and then I would sit down to watch Spanish and I would nap for 45 minutes while my Spanish class happened. And I'd wake up and go downstairs and be like, just had Spanish, mom. And that was my entire senior year. <laughs> Doesn't sound so bad. No, yeah. it was fine. Buenos dias, mama. <laughs> Spanish class was... Bueno. Boy, bueno. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was there any sort of culture shock when you went to the high school or was it just it was kind of business as usual, but at least you had some more classmates and stuff? It was complete culture shock. Uh, I mean, just changing classrooms, having a class schedule. I had no idea how to handle that. Uh, Just being social in general, I definitely just turned into this little 14-year-old edgelord because I didn't know how to, like, talk to people without being bombastic. (laughs) You know? Um, Edgelord. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think I'm a retired edgelord now, but sometimes my (laughs) girlfriend just brings with me. (laughs) But yeah, I, I mean, I did sports and stuff, um, so that helped. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I learned how to be social until I was like 24. You know, I, I feel like I was stunted for that long from knowing how to just have a conversation with somebody, you know, how to talk to a, someone you think is pretty. <laughs> you know, like I had yeah. no idea how to do any of this. <laughs> is that because you, you were like in the same you, every year? It was like the same few kids in every class, never changing classrooms. You never like stretch that mm. the social skills muscles i guess i mean i i understand that for sure did you do yeah, like, youth I, group and stuff? like oh in yeah my my parents helped run our youth group actually for a while wow i kind of forgot about that that really sucked <laughs> <laughs> oh my god youth group is strange anyway never like i mean i loved it it was like my 
my way to be around people. That was my social practice. That's what's funny about like you and Casey is like, you didn't have that practice because you went to school with the kids you went to youth group with, and you always saw the same people. For me, it was like, I don't get to practice my social skills until youth group. Then mm-hmm. I get to shine. <laughs> and by shine, I mean, I didn't shine. I did not fit in well. Uh, but every time someone new showed up, that was my, my first thought was maybe, maybe I can be friends with this person. <laughs> yeah. Our youth group was mostly Weird. just kids who were teenagers that, uh, were in the public high school, but still their family still went to the church. So I guess I got to do a little like socializing with the outside world, but they were still kids from there, you know? Um, and your, and your parents were like running the thing when it was happening. They did along with their like best friend couple or whatever. Um, and they actually got kicked out for two reasons. They got kicked out from teaching youth group. Your parents or their friends? Both, both at the same Ooh. time. Yeah. Uh, so we went on a, uh, you know, of the National Youth Gathering. Uh, it's kind of like Acquire the Fire, similar to that. Okay. I know the name. Uh, well, we went to that and. Long story short, boys and girls weren't supposed to go back to their own rooms together. A girl had started her period and needed to go, but she didn't want to tell us that, obviously. So we all go back to the hotel room, and the youth group leader comes back and starts yelling at all of us. And they're over, and I guess it turns out she told them, and then he made fun of her. They kind of made fun of her for it. And so they got trouble for that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what was said because they separated the girls and boys, you know, to have these conversations. So they were in there for like two hours. And my friend and I were just sitting, the only two boys, just like, oh, God, we're going to die, you know? Um, And then that culminating with my dad speaking in tongues all the time, uh, that made Lutherans uncomfortable, you know? (laughs) Because Lutherans are pretty rigid. (laughs) That had to be fun to have your dad just sounding off while during youth group. (laughs) Yeah, well, so he did quiet uh, tongue speaking. He did it during prayer. It was more like private prayer language. Yeah, yeah. He was just like. I, I swear he was just like repeating our names or something, you know? Um, but yeah, it made people really uncomfortable. Like, what is your dad doing? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, some, one of, sometimes those events where you're like away from home, you're with a, a, a couple of leaders and stuff. And when they start to like lose control over the group and their instinct is to freak out and yell, <laughs> it is awful. Like, it's just so uncomfortable, and I don't know. It would be really awful if it was your parents that were doing it. Yeah. I mean, uh, a part of me, like, everyone knew. Like I said, I just had a bad attitude for a lot of my childhood, so everyone knew that I didn't get along with my parents at that time anyways. So there was kind of a little distance, like, I'm not like them. But it was also having them kind of helicopter around me while there was, like, more than one girl to talk to. That really sucked. What was your uh, lord activity? Uh, I mean, just being uncouth, partying, telling, telling jokes that I wouldn't tell now, you know, as a small white kid in a small town in Northern Michigan and just kind of being a shithead, having zero respect for people's property. Like I just didn't care about people's stuff. I'd smash people's things. I was destructive for sure. <laughs> it was mean, just mean. I was, I was like a shitty bully. Like I'd try to bully someone and then everyone would go all in on me. Cause I was just a little <laughs> dork. I was easy to make fun of. I was, Trying to be a big dog, I was just a little little Shih Tzu. <laughs> <laughs> oh so you man! Think you were just kind of like, you think some of that was like just lashing out, like pent up frustration from just like not 
feeling like you connected with the world you grew up in? Oh, definitely. I was mad at the world. I was yeah. really mad at the world for a long time. I mean, it felt unfair that I had to do all that stuff and everyone else got to have these normal lives. You know, now as an adult, it's like, oh, people have varied experiences all over the place, you know, whether they go to Christian school or not. But back then I was like, are you kidding me? Why did I have to do that? Why did they get to have fun? You know, it is tough. Like that's, I liked my bubble and I was scared of leaving it, you know, but I had those same like self-conscious feelings when I was around people who weren't part of the group. You know, like going to college the first year was just kicked me out of my comfort zone so hard. And, you know, talking about like socialization, like I just realized that I was bad at it. I'd never had to do it, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, it's easy to like, especially when you're that age, it's easy to really think like, man, everyone here is comfortable but me. Other people are doing this and I'm stuck here, you know. Um, everybody else has had a girlfriend and I've never had a girlfriend, you know, that whole deal. Mm-hmm. Some totally. of that's just teenager stuff. I mean, just going to parties and I was like, what do I do with myself? You know, and I'd just be so neurotic about it. And then I'd be mad and jealous that everyone else is just seemingly casually having fun and talking and hanging out. And I'm just like, my palms are sweating, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to talk to people. I guess I'll just drink a lot. Make an ass of myself. <laughs> That's the opposite of me, where I went to parties and I would be like, "It's so sad that everyone's drinking so much." <laughs> I would go. To, I remember this house that I would hang out at. It had this was like the quintessential college house. It was like, it just like it was an old house where like you walk in, there's a big foyer, there's like big rooms on every side. You what walk. What's that in, place called? It was. We called it Yearly. It was a house on Yearly. Yearly House. That's right. You walk in to the right would be like a sitting room to the left would be another sitting room. And then you know, in the back left would be a, whatever you want it to be. Maybe a library in the back, right was the kitchen. Then you, there's like two or three stories of bedrooms above that. And, mm-hmm. but every room was turned into a bedroom. So it was like 13 or 14 kids living in that house. And it was just, that was the party house. So you'd go, no matter what, you could go and if you went there on a Friday night, like 50 percent of the house at least was drunk by 7 p.m. and throwing things out the window like it was <laughs> gnarly. But I was friends with all those kids and they were all Liberty University students and we we're all Christians and they all would talk like that. Like and I just remember being like killjoy it would be like go there and have conversations about God on the front porch with the semi sober people. Just like, everyone else is like just shit faced inside flashing their dick like it's. I don't know, before <laughs> sexual assault was a problem. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you stop getting invites to parties after a while? Never. Or? No, no. I'm gonna, I'll stand by this. What, for whatever fucking reason, I, people never didn't like me. I don't know why. I, I, people should have. Maybe they I were drunk enough to not pick up on the vibe that, that you were throwing out like that. You know, it's really sad that I'm this much better than you guys. <laughs> I would go over and they'd be like, Sam, like, and it was cool. Like we were, we were all friends and I hung out with them when they were sober and they were like, man, I don't know. I don't really, that's what it was. I think is like the Christianity and everyone made people feel like the, the night, the next day when I, I'd see him I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. I shouldn't. I don't. Maybe I should. I feel like I need to stop drinking or something. I don't know if that's what God really wants for me. And I'm like, no, it's okay. I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I always God's grace is sufficient for thee. Okay. 
Uh, I always imagine Christian colleges were like no parties and like very awkward sexual encounters that everyone regretted. Yeah. No, uh, there was that too. Sure. <laughs> there is that. That was the plan I was on. <laughs> and how much did that plan cost you? It's like, uh, what it was, uh, I don't know, at least twelve ninety nine a month. Yeah. Who Something cares? Like my, it was for my parents. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, a lot of people were just like, it was as regular as you get. If you wanted to find parties and drugs and do whatever, like that, that was always mm. like, a phone call away. Didn't take long to meet people who were like, nudge, nudge. You know, there's something fun to do around here if you're into that kind. Yeah, I, w- I would almost guess maybe they would party even harder because they're not like in their homeschools and stuff anymore. The repression. They all yeah. people do. Hard. Yeah. yeah, totally. I bet there's some of that. So what um, happens at high school ends and what happens from there? Um. Well... I tried to go to college and dropped out pretty quick because I definitely did kind of exactly what we were talking about. I just started partying and eventually like became a line cook um, and just kind of screwed around for the most of my 20s. And now I'm like 32 and in college and trying to like have a have a nice life. (laughs) Did you go to school in Michigan? Yeah, totally. In Traverse City, actually. Uh, oh yeah what is the name of that school uh, uh, northwestern michigan university it's a community college right 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 yeah i i'm sure like most of the audience has no point of reference for this but like traverse city is like the coastal town vacation spot in michigan that's where everybody spends like their their summer vacation is like up there on a lake house or something like that, right on Lake Michigan or Traverse Bay or whatever. It's it's a pretty place. Yeah, a lot of celebrities too, because uh, I think people just don't think about seeing celebrities in northern Michigan. So a lot of them have houses up there and stuff. That makes sense. It's a nice place where you can get away and not be bothered when you go to a convenience store or something. Expensive place to live for a millennial with like no college education too. Yeah, uh, for I mean, sure. I don't know why I went from Traverse City, which could be one of the most expensive places to live in Michigan. And now I live in Portland, Oregon, which is just insanely expensive to live in. So I've never lived somewhere (laughs) cheap. I'd really like to someday. (laughs) So what did the family think when uh, when you went to college? And I mean, obviously, they've I'm sure they expressed their disapproval at everything. Yeah, there was a pretty big falling out. I I dropped out of college and I moved to Oregon. This is my second time living here. And I just kind of didn't talk to anyone for a good year and a half or two years. Um, And then when I came back, my parents had got divorced and there was just kind of this upheaval that didn't involve me for once, which was kind of nice and refreshing, you know. um, So now, like... Like, I have a pretty good relationship with my mom and my siblings. One of my brothers is in the Discord, too. Uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, it's it's more normal. Like, I have a nice little normie family situation, I think, that I always wanted. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember being like, why can't my parents just get divorced like everyone else's? I just want some normal <laughs> kid. That is so funny. I have a friend who was like, I remember when he told me I was blown away by it. But he was like, man, this is like high school. He's like, man, if my my parents got divorced. I wouldn't care at all. I feel like I'd be happier. Like it just doesn't even make sense that my parents are even together at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, Holy shit. I've never heard anyone say anything like that. A divorce is sad and wrong and scary and against God's plan for everything. And then to so now his parents are 
getting divorced. So. Mm-hmm. He also listens to the podcast, so he'll know who he is. But I'm not just like throwing his shit out there. <laughs> Congrats on your parents' broken marriage, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's been broken. It's like it's, everything's better now. Everything's Welcome better. to the club, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the it's almost like the the thing in all superhero movies where like a uh, young person gets superpowers and like eventually their best friend finds out and they're like, I can't believe you lied to me. I can't believe you've been doing this on my back. It's like like anyone would react like that. Like everyone would be like, Holy crap, you're Spider Man? That's insane. That's so cool. Like, tell me all about it. Swing I totally get why you would never want to tell anybody that ever. That's a crazy thing to tell people. Like, of course you wouldn't tell me. It's that, <laughs> that Murdoch took the law into his own hands. That's vigilantism. It's like, shut up, Fozzie. That is a subplot in everything where superheroes get powers while in the midst of having a best friend. <laughs> yeah, always angry. So, uh, what about you? did your dad? Did he settle down off of the speaking in tongues and all of that? Or? Uh, so he's off the reservation, or he's uh, no one's talked to him in a long time. He uh, tried to put that said brother in prison for like it's, it's some white trash shit, but for a tractor. And there's this big falling out with the family, and he got a new wife. And there's been like so we all lived on like the same plot of land, basically. He's like grandpa, and then he gave some to each of his sons. We're all like next door, and there's just like restraining orders and trespassing orders and all sorts of just fun stuff that flew back and forth. So I have no idea how he's doing. No one's talked to him. Every once in a while, he'll email my brother. all I know, because I Googled him, and he's a registered Democrat in Ohio, which blows my mind because he loved Ronald Reagan. But I'm guessing it's one of those Sean Hannity, like, go to a swing state and fuck up their primary kind yeah. of things. Like, I'm guessing <laughs> that's what he's doing. So there's no way he could be a Democrat. I mean, if he became a Democrat because Trump is not a godly man, I'll give him credit for that. Like, way to go, man. At least you stuck to your guns with the Jesus thing. <laughs> dude that is exactly what my mind went to do is like he he registered as a democrat just to vote for uh like what's the what's the general that runs like every time and has no shot wesley something or other i don't know i don't know that was the only off like non-prominent democrat i could think of and the reference really fell flat I can't think of a a general who runs on the left honestly and wesley Clark? Never Lois mind. This was Clark. an unnecessary. It's Lois and Clark. Yes. It's <laughs> General Lois and Clark. Ah, I see Dean signs Kane. from all over out here. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So Portland is a is an interesting point on the map to to move to, especially when you grow up, you know, in conservatism and stuff like that. Like, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, I had moved out here 10 years ago uh, with an ex and I was young and dumb and it didn't work out, but I fell in love with Oregon, but I had never come to Portland. And then about five or six late years later, like there's just this massive migration of people into Portland. I think the average was like 100 people a day, which is why it's gotten so expensive here. It's like North um, Austin. Yeah, well, they're pretty much the same. They have the same slogan: "Keep Austin weird, keep Portland weird." They fight about it, I think, on the internet. But Give me uh, a never break, heard. Austin. I love. I'm. Oh, Austin. Yeah, Austin. Um, Texas. Yeah, lost, 
I no, I know where fucking Austin, Texas. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you said Boston. I was like, oh, no one Boston. says keep Boston weird. And then I realized <laughs> I wasn't hearing it right. So uh, we carry on. Friends. We just had a, a a group of friends who are all like, screw it. Like we are all living in Traverse City. Like screw it. Let's go to Portland. It's too expensive. Not realizing how expensive it was here, but like. I knew I liked the West coast cause I like to go camping and stuff. And I was like, yeah, let's go, let's go to Portland. Now I'm pretty over Portland. Honestly, I think I will, I'll look back on it with more love than I have for it right now. But six years in, I'm like, I just want to leave this place. <laughs> um, it, it seems like one of those places kind of like, uh, like I've never been to New York city, but like you hear so many people who grew up in New York city or live there for long periods of time. And it like, they, they love it. But they're like, man, I could never live there again. Mm. It's a crazy place, but it's also a great place. But I can't be there full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just another bubble. Like I, I grew up in a super conservative bubble and now I live in a super liberal bubble. And it's interesting to see some of the similarities there, honestly, uh, with just how like dogmatic people can be without thinking, you know, I'm just like, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'll I'll call my more liberal friends sometimes when they're when they're just getting a little too off the handle or a little too self righteous. I'm like, you should go to church. I think you'd really like church. <laughs> <laughs> and they laugh and say, Yeah, probably. Uh, well, I <laughs> don't know if I. Could... <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> there is. I feel like maybe sometimes uh, I'm I'm too put off by it, but like I I just have I think. All of the church stuff just left me with like this disdain for ideology Mm -hmm. where it's like this set viewpoint and it explains everything and anything outside of it is wrong. Like I just really like put off by that. And it does. I mean, any any type of thing like that. And I don't know. It's I I think that's just a a side effect of growing up in one. Yeah. I feel like that's why I essentially ended up developing a sort of anti-theology, which is like anyone who's sitting down to systematically decide or write out how what they think God is or how the Bible functions. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you don't know that though. Like mm-hmm. you, and nobody know. like I, I not saying you can't have your own personal ethos or like, you know, look at, you know, whatever every it, you, things can function as metaphors and, and move you into something compelling but i'm just like maybe it was liberty but when you're like sitting in a class and they have a book that's like four inches thick explaining at every possible point and turn how well god's like this because x y and z and then okay so we'll separate this out between here's creation here's the fall of man and then when the fall Mm -hmm. of man happens it's like are you fucking serious this is obvious like you literally just sat and wrote a fantasy novel and called it facts like how did you even get here hard to sell it till you write it down yeah well i mean you can ask ask joseph smith i mean he knows <laughs> yeah I, I feel like it turned me into like the ultimate centrist in how i like look at things because i just can't take anything at face value and even if i hear something where it's like flat out sounds like it's like bad or wrong i i like have to know before i even want to talk about it you know to somebody they'll bring it up and like i gotta like do some Googling real quick or something, get a little yeah. more information. I can't just take this information for you and you tell me 
so-and-so is a racist man or something, you know, like I gotta, I gotta look this up. I gotta figure it out. <laughs> yep. Yep. I hear that every time there's certain people in my life are like, did you know that? I'm like, Oh really? And then as soon as they get off, whatever, maybe I saw them or I was on the phone with them. I'm like, All right, I'm definitely looking that up and then telling them why that's definitely not true. Later. <laughs> Everyone yeah. who's ever been on a respirator is dead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Damn. Just oh, you guys haven't life. read that one yet? <laughs> yeah. It's funny, too. You mentioned personal ethos, and I, I always feel like that's a good thing to work on for yourself. And you like, and it's good to have it, but all of a sudden when someone's giving me their personal ethos, that's when I'm just like, I am being preached to right now. You need to go work on these ideas that you have. Like, they really don't have anything to do with me right now, you know? Yeah. And it's weird because I think there is that point. I think there are points in life where it's worth trying to compel people to live a different life. You know, we all can Mm -hmm. objectively agree that there are certain lifestyles that might be destructive or uh, belief systems that are harmful or people who spiral. Like, I mean, we know those people who are like, they're not anywhere good in life. They're where they're at sucks. They'd objectively tell you it sucks. Mm -hmm. And then you look at, you know, every conversation you've ever had with them is, well, you know, I'm only here because X, Y, and Z happened. And this person's a piece of shit. And, oh, I got fucked over over there. And everybody knows people like that where you're like, at some point you need to do some like inner processing and like, think about <laughs> maybe when you look at all these situations that have added up to you being where you're at, that you're a common denominator. Like we can all agree that there are healthy ways to live your life and better ways to live your life and beautiful ways to live your life. And I think that like, it, Christians often make the mistake of thinking you have to be Christian to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also like on the other side of things, it's just like, well, who am I to tell people how to live their life? But you can't like, you can't tell people, but you can like, there is a general invitation to live something that's more fulfilling. When you watch people suffering and making poor decisions, you don't go, that's good for you. If that's what you want, like, Right. There are plenty of people who are making awful choices and suffering all the time and you don't want them to. And like Mm -hmm. you just wish that they could figure out how to make a better choice or to like self-actualize in any way at all. And like so I don't know. I think that's like the push and the pull of it is just like it doesn't have to be under the name brand of Christianity. But like the let live and let live mindset, I think, is a little too a little too reductive. I don't know that anyone really I don't know that anyone really feels that way. If you care about people. Yeah. You want to see them make good choices and, and be happy, you know? Right. Yeah. That's almost like, it almost feels like more to do with it sometimes is like, what what's the purpose of this sermon? Is this so that you can get on a yes. soapbox about you and talk about you and tell me all about you and what you think and why you're right? Mm-hmm. Or is this like you trying to coach me or somebody through something because you care about them, you want them to do better, you know? Definitely. That felt preachy. Right. Amen. Yeah, no, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Father Casey. <laughs> it, no, but that, you're right. It's who is this about? Is it about you or is it about me? And right. If it's about somebody else, and I think, great. If it's about that person trying to convince somebody, it's like what we were talking about earlier with Jerry Jr. We're just like, oh, all I had to do was say I believe in this and now everything's great and I can be a piece of shit. It's like everybody knows that's like that's fucking ridiculous. It's not a so trying to convince somebody to just admit that what you believe is true is worthless if they can't figure out how to like i don't know get out of bed after they've been like depressed for 60 days and get the help mm-hmm. of 
you know, mm-hmm. like they need some people need something more than just like, but be, like belief in the right quote unquote things, not the solution to anybody's problems. It doesn't change your life. That's mm-hmm. that felt ableist. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an ableist piece of shit, so it's fine. <laughs> I think able-bodied people are just, you know, more productive. That's my feeling about it. I'm going to regret this. Oh man. So you're going to going through school now? Yeah, I started a year ago. I'm still in community college. It's my favorite joke right now whenever I'm writing about <laughs> anything at work. Like, guys, I'm in community college. I'm like, let me check this out. <laughs> um so it's gonna be a long path. I I wanna do archiving eventually, which is just fancy filing that maybe I'll get some information that no one else has, which is really what I'm after is information. Freemasons! <laughs> yeah, yeah, something wild, yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's going to be a path. I'm guessing I'll be around 40 by the time I'm all finished up. So really, I'm just kind of living my 30s like I'm just in my 20s going to college. It's kind of my goal. Well, well Edward Snowden will probably be dead by then and we'll be due for a new one. You know, <laughs> if we can get you put into the NSA or something yeah. like that. I'm glad I mean, we the- had this conversation because I've never heard anyone in my entire life say they want to become an archivist. Yeah, I didn't know that's what I wanted until I, well, I wanted an anthropology degree and I was like, what the hell do I do with that? Like, I don't know what to do with that. And then I looked, you can work in museums. And then I looked at like, oh, archiving. That's where you get all the inside information. You know what's where. I don't know if you can see this. I'm holding up the screen. It's probably Thank backwards, you. but I just Googled archivist because I said it. I don't know if that's a word. Turns out it is. And I'm proud of myself. <laughs> it's definitely a gent band. Too. <laughs> no that's cool like i think there's like advantages in some ways to going to school like later in life because like 18 year old me didn't know anything about what i wanted out of life or what i could handle as a career or what would make me happy and what i would absolutely hate and 25 year old me didn't know that either mm-hmm. you know i think i'm at a point now where i could say like communications probably not a great way to go because it's worthless like let's at least get a skill out of this or you know something like that that's why i'm back in school now at 33 i finally was like you know what i think i want to do i know what i want to do now yeah it uh it feels way more driven i understand the cost a lot more too you know i'm watching my loans pile up and i'm like oh god i'm screwed but also, like, I don't care if I die in debt. We're all going to be in debt. I just want a decent job. <laughs> you know, um, you feel more committed to it. Like, I like I remember in undergrad, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh, my God. OK, everything's a chore. You're forced to do it. You're like, I just don't want to whatever. I feel so I feel even though I'm like busier than I've ever been in my entire life, I feel like invigorated by what I'm learning because I actually made a conscious decision to choose to learn this and pay for it. And I think understanding the value of a dollar just costing really helps. but. It does, mate. Going back to school in your 30s, you're like, you're way more committed to it than you would have mm-hmm. been ever in your life. Well, it helped that I started going during the main phase of the lockdown. Like, my first term started, like, March something 2020, you know? So I have I had all the time to be committed to it. I had nothing better to do but play <laughs> Warzone, smoke weed, and go to class, you know? <laughs> that does not sound as bad. 
I yeah, know, no, it was I, great. I, I, it sucked to go back to work. I was like, oh, how? I'm like, how the hell do people go to work and school and work full time? Like, whoever does that, I applaud you. You're better at it than me. I can't handle it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I respect that for sure. Well, man, thanks for coming on and talking to us. Glad we got to hear your story, meet you in person and stuff. And uh, we'll really appreciate you being a part of the Discord and just keeping the conversation going and stuff over the past oh, almost a year now, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I I like that Discord a lot. It's one of the first Discords I think I joined, too. And Same here. I found, I found you guys through <laughs> Christian Nightmares, the Instagram page. And that's how oh, I, nice. I found it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know it was great. Thanks for having me. I, I feel honored. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time, man. It was nice to meet you, Anthony. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. We will see you next time.